All right, well, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn into them to Matthew chapter 27, if you will. Matthew chapter 27. And let's begin in verse 35. Then they crucified him, divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them. For my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and the other on his left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking with the scribes and the elders, said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the King of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lamna shabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, "This this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. Then the rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded it up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked and the rocks were split. The graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Father, we pray that you'll speak to our hearts through your word tonight. And Father, I just pray that we make the most of Jesus tonight. We love you, Lord, and we ask this now in his name. Amen. The cross is the entrance to Christianity. There's no other way. But not only is the cross the entrance into Christianity, it also sets the expectation before each and every one of us who calls ourselves a Christian. Let us understand that the cross of Jesus Christ sets the tone going forward. Today, many have softened the idea of the cross. Many have tried to make it more palatable, more agreeable, and less offensive to the individual. But the cross of Jesus Christ does not negotiate. It does not compromise. The cross of Jesus Christ collides with the lives of the individuals that are confronted by it. 
It invades. It, it's invasive. It looks beyond the person to the real heart of the matter. No one confronted by the cross who is truly willing to accept its revelation within their heart cannot say as King Uzziah did, I am a man of unclean lips. We as Christians today, more than ever, must realize that our Christianity is not a Christianity that is based on the idea that God serves me. But as Jesus came into the world, He said, I have not come into the world to be served, but to serve. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ reminds all of us that our Christianity begins with a death. Our death. Our death to the old life. Our death to the flesh. And in the wake of that death, we receive a resurrection to new life in Jesus Christ. For you and I as Christians, we must remember this. Because I believe that too many people today who see themselves as a Christian, who identify as a Christian, often have adopted the wrong expectations and beliefs concerning what Christianity will add to their life. We have made it a consumer-centered Christianity. We have made it a Christianity that's all about me. We've made it a self-serving faith rather than a faith of selflessness. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ is the beginning. It sets the tone. It sets the expectation before us. And it reminds us each and every day, on a day such as this, what it took to take us from death to life, from darkness to light. And it all began with those moments on the cross. And picking it up in verse 45, as we've read up until that moment, we find that the very first thing that we are confronted with is this period of darkness. That as those who were observing and witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ were all of a sudden shrouded at the peak of the day in darkness. Knowing that something spectacular was happening before them. Something awesome was taking place before them. And as they viewed it from their vantage point, from their perspective, they drew many various conclusions. In fact, up until that point, we just read that most mocked him. From the individuals passing by all the way to the religious leaders of the nation of Israel. They saw it as a, uh, just a absolute travesty. When in actuality, it was the greatest victory that was ever obtained. We need to understand Christianity from this viewpoint. We cannot enjoy the blessings of the resurrection without first entering those blessings through the cross. Let us never be apologetic for the cross of Jesus Christ. Let us never try to soften its blow in the life of the individual. Let us never try to compromise what God gloriously stated openly before all. Let us never try to diminish that moment that our Savior hung there for hours as darkness gripped the land. 
It is in that moment that the greatest exchange was taking place between God and God. That exchange in that moment of darkness, we will find the three elements that each and every one of us was destined to inherit if we didn't find ourselves with the Savior in Christ. Christ experienced for us what we were destined to experience because of our sin and the fallen nature that we have inherited through Adam. The reason people die is not because of a failing of the flesh, it's because of the adoption of sin. One out of one person dies because of sin. That's what God came to remedy. That's what God came to reconcile. And that's what he did in those moments of darkness, those six hours of darkness, that those who saw, witnessed, and watched before them, the greatest payment was made on our behalf. The first element of that moment was darkness in and of itself. And throughout the Bible, darkness always indicates a period of God's judgment upon his creation. As the prophet Amos wrote, he said, And it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that I will make the sun go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in, the, in broad daylight. Or Joel, when he wrote, he said, The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish in their brightness. One wrote, he said, whenever the color black is used in the Bible, it is often associated with threatening presence of God in dark times of divine judgment upon sin and evil. Throughout the Old Testament, images of the coming of God in judgment are painted in hues of black. And so the very first thing we understood in the darkness that occurred at that moment was the fact that judgment was taking place. It was the judgment of the sins of the world. As God the Father laid every sin upon the back of Jesus at that moment on our behalf. That our past, present, and future sin could be dealt with at that moment. But the judgment didn't stop there. The next thing we read is this cry from Jesus in Matthew twenty-seven forty-six. We're again identifying himself with Psalm 22. He says, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthede. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The most distressing moment in the time of Christ's first coming was at this point. It's when he was perfectly alone. It's when God the Father, at the moment the sins of the world were placed upon him, That God the Father, not able to look upon the sins that were upon him, turned from him, and there was a moment of separation like never before between God the Father and Jesus Christ. As one wrote, Chuck Swindoll, in his commentary, he said this, In this moment was the ultimate agony, as Jesus cried out, My God, my God! Why have you forsaken me? It was as if the Father had turned his back on the Son as Jesus bore the sins of humanity. Then Jesus declared, It is finished. 
the provision of redemption was complete. But then something else occurred. The third element of this moment of darkness. It is the moment of Christ's death when He cried out in a loud voice with His last breath and gave up His spirit. And He said, It is finished. The payment has been made on the behalf of man. As one wrote, he said, we must keep in mind that our Lord accomplished on the cross was an eternal transaction that involved him and the Father. He did not die as a martyr who had failed in a lost cause, nor was he the only an example for people to follow. Isaiah 53 makes it clear that Jesus did not die for his own sins because he had none. He died for our sin. He made his soul an offering for sin. What you and I need to realize at this moment before we go on any further is that those three elements were waiting for us. If we, have, if we die apart from Jesus Christ, we, can, we will experience everlasting darkness. And when God talks about darkness, He's talking about the absence of Himself. Darkness isn't an, a substance in and of itself. It is the absence of light. It means that we will be, number two, separated from Him for all eternity. And each and every one of us apart from Jesus Christ, will experience eternal death. All of that, Christ suffered on our behalf. What we were destined to, apart from Him. For you and I who are Christians, this is the worst it's ever going to get. It's only going to get better. For those who are apart from Christ, I have bad news to tell you, but I only tell you because i got good news to follow. And that is, this is the best it's ever going to get for you here on this earth. And it's only going to get worse. Jesus Christ bore this upon himself to allow for. Notice what it says next. After he cried out these things, they misunderstood and thought he was crying out for the prophet Elijah, which who, of course, would preceded him if he was Messiah. But then notice, as he yielded up his spirit in verse 50, then behold, the veil of the temple was torn into top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion of, uh, of those who were with him, who were guarding Jesus, saw an, the earthquake and the things which had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. A centurion in the Roman legion needed to witness every execution. So the Romans were meticulous in keeping records. And the Romans needed to know when the last breath of the condemned person was taken, the time of death. So the Roman centurion would fix his eyes upon the condemned man who was being crucified before all. 
And in the wake of everything this centurion saw and experienced, he came to the conclusion that it wasn't Caesar Nero that was truly the Son of God. It was this carpenter from Nazareth that was truly the Son of God. And in through it all, he came to that understanding. He saw for himself what God did on behalf of his creation. But it doesn't end there, because I began with the statement that the cross is the entry into Christianity. And the cross tells us a lot about the Christian faith. If we look at it truthfully, if we accept it objectively, and that we don't read our own understanding into it, but simply allow it to hit us like it did that Roman centurion. Again, no one can enter into the Christian faith apart from the cross. This is what Jesus said, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And what Jesus accomplished on the cross was validated three days later in his resurrection. And you and I today are benefits. We're beneficiaries of all that Christ has done. But let us not misunderstand what it means to enter Christianity through the cross. The early church got it. Paul got it. Jesus set the tone from the very beginning. But somehow, some way, we have missed this. Or we've dismissed this in some way, shape, or form. Notice with me, and it should be on the screen behind me, Matthew 16, 24. When Jesus said very clearly to his disciples, then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him first deny himself. Take up the cross and follow me. There it is. Right there. This is it. Christianity begins with the denial of self. It's not a faith about me. I don't come to Jesus Christ to see how he may benefit me. I come through the cross and through the cross. There's an ultimative given to me. And the only way to step through it is the relinquishing of self, not my will, but your will be done, Lord. But it also is the death of self. It's where I end and he begins. Now you think I may be looking into it too deeply or maybe seeing more than is actually there. But I think Paul got it, and I think Paul expressed it to those in whom he wrote to. Notice what he says in Romans 6, 4. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Baptism is meant to show the world that we have died to ourselves and have been risen to Christ. He went on to say in Romans 6, 5 through 7. Again, notice the language. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And then Paul said it so clearly and eloquently 
in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is Christianity. The moment I've come to Jesus Christ, I realize that I have been bought and paid for, not by precious stones and precious metals, metals and gold, silver, etc., but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I've relinquished my will. And I say, Lord, your will be done. Paul said it this way, that the greatest act of worship that we can give before the Lord is not singing a song, but laying ourselves before him as a living sacrifice, which is the perfect act of worship before him. Recently, someone sent me an email, and it was nice because it wasn't a bad email. But on that email, he attached a portion of a book written by A.W. Tozer in 1966. And I read this attachment, and I was blown away. A.W. Tozer is one of my favorites. But I want to read a few excerpts from that. And I want to ask you the question this, this evening. Is this your perspective of Christianity? Is this your perspective of the cross? The words will be on the screen behind me for you to follow. Notice what he says. The old cross is a symbol of death. It stands for the abrupt, violent end of a human being. The man in Ro Roman times who took up his cross and started down the road had already said goodbye to his friends. He was not coming back. He was going out to have it ended. The cross made no compromise. It modified nothing. It spared nothing. It slew all of the man, completely and for good. It did not try to keep on good terms with its victim. It struck cruel and hard, and when it had finished its work, the man was no more. He went on to write, The faith of Christ does not parallel that of the world. It intersects it. In coming to Christ, we do not bring our old life up to a higher plane. We leave it at the cross. And then he went on to say that God offers life, but not an improved old life. The life he offers is a life out of death. It stands always on the far side of the cross. Whoever would possess it must pass under the rod. He must repudiate, repudiate himself and concur in God's sentence against him. That was from his book, Man, the Dwelling Place of God, 1966. Notice with me what he says. It doesn't compromise. It doesn't negotiate with the individual. It doesn't parallel the individual's old life and say, hey, you can have something new. You can put on the new life over the old life in which you once had. No, it says to the end of the old life. It has died. And in its wake, a newness has been given. From death comes the resurrection. 
This sets the expectation of Christianity for all who will truly read it. Now, you may be sitting here tonight, and this is maybe your first time coming to church in a long time, and you're like, great. But I had to tell you the bad news before I could tell you the good news. You see, Jesus Christ confronts all of us openly, objectively, and states to all of us that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are able to enter into his presence, enter into his kingdom in and of ourselves. And he says right now, if you will come to me, if you will simply believe in what I have done for you, repent and believe. Ask God to forgive you of those things that are numerous. But he sees everything, guys. Let's not be, let's not be uh, dishonest with ourselves, right? Right, exactly. I agree with the kid out there. It's yucky inside, right? The heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Hey, we want to all believe we are good people and that at the end, God's going to grave on a curve, you know, like I got through high school. But that's not the way God grades. The standard for entering into the kingdom of heaven is perfection. And all of us fall short of that. And God knew that. And if God didn't do exactly what he did on that moment on the cross, we would have been hopelessly condemned from that point forward. But he did. He stepped out of heaven. And Jesus took what we were about to experience, the darkness, the separation, and the death that waited for each and every one of us. And why did he do it? He did it because He loves you beyond imagine. And God from the very beginning told us in John 3.16, notice what He says, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whomsoever shall believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. This is your opportunity this evening. If you are willing to come to the cross honestly and realize that what separates you from God is sin, and that sin has been dealt with at the cross, Christ is offering you His life in exchange for yours. And if you say yes, Lord, and you believe, repent and believe, He will crucify the old life And he'll make it something brand new. And let me tell you, God is in the brand new business. He is in the brand new business. But we have to go through the cross first. There's no other way. We can't walk around it. We have to go through it. And the only way to go through it is to die to ourselves. A.W. Tozer went on. And he said, what does this mean to the individual? The condemned man who would find life in Christ Jesus. How can this theology be translated into life? Simply. He must repent and believe. He must forsake his sins and then go on to forsake himself. Let him cover nothing, defend nothing, excuse nothing. Let him not seek to make terms with God, but let him bow his head before 
the stroke of God's stern displeasure and acknowledge himself worthy to die. Having done this, let him gaze with a simple trust upon the risen Savior. And from him will come life and rebirth and cleansing and power. The cross that ended the earthly life of Jesus now puts an end to the sinner. And the power that raised Christ from the dead now raises him who believes to a new life along with Christ. That's Christianity. That's what Christ has done for us. Again, we must understand that when the cross is presented to the individual, it doesn't just simply uh, softly present itself. It collides with that world. And it should shake them to the core because it is a testimony that each and every one of us are dead in sin apart from His glorious salvation that only He can provide. But when we receive that salvation, Paul went on to say in 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my life verses, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the cross. And I hope we remember it. And let us never be apologetic for it. Because it was on that moment that God came in to save those who are His. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for tonight, Lord. Father, You know every person that's here tonight. You brought them. This is their appointment with You. This is tough stuff. They may have never heard it before. They may not fully understand it. But I'm sure in their heart they understand guilt. I'm sure they understand loneliness. I'm sure that they understand a void that occupies the center of their being. And though they try to fill that void with various things, they seem to always be unsuccessful. It's because that void is a place in their own heart where you and you alone can reside. The relationship that they're looking for is not with those in the world, but with you. And the only way that a relationship can be obtained with you, Father, is through Jesus. I pray that the Spirit this evening will work on each and every one of our hearts to remember the cross for us who are Christians. Remember what it cost Christ to provide for us. How serious sin is before you that it took the brutal death of your Son to wash them away. But for those who don't know you tonight, Father, I pray that you would show them that they have sinned before you. And it's that sin that is separating them from you. And that Jesus Christ came to bridge that gap. And if they will repent, that is simply ask for forgiveness of sin, turn from them and turn towards you and believe, they shall be saved. They'll walk out of here a new person. They'll start a new life, a brand new life. Old things passed away, all things are new. The angels of heaven will rejoice at that moment. And Father, they'll know for the very first time what it really truly means to be forgiven. 
That's only a work you can do, Lord. But we have to be honest with ourselves. We can't gloss it over. Because as we stand before the cross, each and every one of us are reminded of that fact. That we need a Savior and that Savior is Jesus. And we ask all this now in His precious name. Amen.